Hello and welcome to episode 94 of Speech Therapy Memories, a speech memory service podcast by me, Persuade, Speech Service. I might get an intro or something. I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, if anybody listens to this and can make me a jingle, I will pay you. Um, I'll pay you cold hard cash. I'm I, I actually really enjoying doing this now. Um, I thought I'd resent um, having to talk for myself, but it turns out it's all I do anyway. So, um, yeah, so I've just done an assessment, and this young person has been out of school for oh, five months. Um, they have a diagnosis, uh, they have multiple diagnoses, but their primary diagnosis is ASD, an autism spectrum disorder, or an autism spectrum condition. Uh, with a pathological demand avoidance. Um, and it was, so old me would have done the last year's assessment thinking, what a failure. Why Why didn't you manage to get get anything? Um, and then look back to my notes and realise I've captured quite a lot. But, but today, I was explaining to parents, so uh, the young person came downstairs and um, Parents said that this young person would typically never come downstairs if there was no familiar adult there, especially if they knew somebody could see them. So they remained in the room for the whole time, uh, which is a win. Um, and both parents were explaining that this young person, um, having stopped having stopped taking them to school, um, no longer masked constantly and therefore isn't exhausted and therefore what they are presented with is a young person that is their true authentic self um, which from a mental health perspective can only be a positive thing so and as a result of that um, the previous education psychology assessment at school done via a friend so not done with this child and speak to the education psychologist but the their friend did, done via a friend, um, they managed to get engagement through the assessment um, and didn't do any standardised assessment. Um, however, managed to kind of gauge where this child was from a kind of cognitive, kind of learning perspective. Um, the independent education psychologist did the assessment at home, um, having the, the child now being outside of school, um, who is no longer masking, which is a massive positive for a PTSD trauma perspective, and they, the other person wouldn't engage with EP at all, wouldn't come into the room, and it was a real battle. And I explained to parents that my my role I see in any situation when I'm working with a family is to not have a lasting negative impact. And I think it's really important to think about this because I'm I'm invited into a family's house, a family that are appealing an education healthcare plan, a family that have two children that have special educational needs that are complex. And if I were to go in there and demand or try my very hardest using every single strategy possible, but essentially put this child into a stressful situation, and um, and as we know the cook analogy, shake, 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 I leave and then boom, that child explodes, um, then I've had a lasting ne- negative impact on that child. I also don't like being um, 
whilst with some children it's possible, uh, let's say with the vast majority of children that I work assess it's possible, and I I don't like being the helicopter therapist when I've dropped in, do the testament, pull straight back out again, um, when I can see that the child has real difficulties building kind of relationships and real trust issues with professionals, um, and there's been multiple sort of failures in the past. Speech language therapists have said that they, sh- that they can't work with the child in the past. Um, they, ha- they haven't been assessed for two years, but the in-house therapist said they couldn't work with them and that they weren't able to engage with them. And I thought, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to create a situation where when I leave, the parents have got help for the rest of the afternoon, possibly the whole weekend, um, because of what I've done during the assessment. Um, and it's, it's a difficult kind of fine line that we're having to tread here because we have to still assess and work out what needs are but at the same time not cause any additional kind of negativity or trauma. So what I what I did during the assessment, this young person came downstairs um, and they engaged with their father, they were showing their father things on the iPad, constantly commenting. When I asked this young person one question, which was, well, how old are you, by the way? Um, I was greeted with a lot of colourful language, um, fantastic vocabulary for um, expletives. Um, and parents said one of the things that he'll work on at the moment by the clinical psychologist is looking at kind of the um, appropriate use of um, kind of um, swear words. Uh, and when it's appropriate to use it, which they don't mind at home when it's just them as a family. Um, but when it's an unfamiliar person or professional in the home, they, um, it's something they're trying to reduce. And I explained that swear words have a real um, kind of place in society. And if this young person feels so strongly about something and wants to express how they feel about something um, in such a strong manner, then it's not something that I'm looking to reduce. Um, I'm not going to work on developing a child's repertoire of swear words, but um, in the situation that she's in, like the young person's in, uh, I didn't feel it would be appropriate for me to even consider kind of speaking to parents about reducing the use of swear words. Um, whilst, yes, it's not typical social etiquette, uh, the young person was able to explain how they felt about my presence in the room and report back events that had happened in school um, and when the mother was reporting on events, disagree with what was being said um, and agree apart. Um, and a lot of that was including lots of swear words. So yeah, I mean, it's, it, but, it, but, but what I was able to do during my observation was one, um, consider kind of the young person's use of social interaction, social communication skills in the context of their, of their ASD and BDA. Um, consider the, and write down um, all of the language samples that were present, so these very long utterances, um, kind of lots of colourful language in there, um, grammatically correct, able to get the point across, and then how they revert from that to screaming and kind of uh, very high-pitched screaming and kind of growling at times and throwing themselves onto their parents when they feel stressed. So all of this for me is a clinical observation. What you're doing is you're looking at all the different aspects of communication for social interaction skills, the understanding of language, the ability to have a back-and-forth conversation, which includes the use of language in the background, the understanding of language, be able to stay on the same topic, um, 
their, their sentence structure themselves, the fluency of the language, speech intelligibility. And again, some of these things are not um, are not kind of priorities. Um, and then also in the wider context of the of the observation, um, how they would typically present. So um, I've asked parents to complete a couple of questionnaires. Uh, so the CCC2, the Children's Communication Checklist 2, the Pragmatic Profile of Children. Uh, gives me a bit more information which I can refer to in the top report and then the rest of my assessment will be considering the bulk of the evidence that's come from the local authority, the NHS therapist, the independent therapists or independent physicians um, to see where they were because and I, I explained to parents is where we're not, it's not local authority evidence versus parent evidence as much as it's presented in that way in tribunals. It is in my mind it's it's collective evidence of a child's needs and strengths and multiple snapshots of where they are in different settings um, and we take it all together and we and, and complex children present in different ways with different people and with different demands for them um, so I don't know, it's, it's not my case of going through another therapist's report this one and explaining um, how incorrect the interpretation is uh, not like I would anyway. Um, it's more of gathering evidence from everybody and explaining just how complex a young person is and how a typical mainstream setting may not be appropriate. Which, in my opinion, it's not going to be appropriate. They they um, they tried mainstream, it's not worked. Um, there were kind of various incidents of kind of um, obviously there was a masking that was going on constantly, but also um, instances of violence. Um, being goaded by young by by their friends to, to carry out violence against other children, um, and friends in there is a is an inverted commas you can't see it because driving, um, and then considering whether in the location there is there there are is there a local authority maintained specialist setting that would be appropriate or is there an independent one? Uh, as a speech therapist, I'm going to comment on the the, the type of intervention, the frequency of intervention. Um, and what that the whole point of intervention is, and for me, it's, it's going to be, it's going to need the therapist to spend a lot of time with them to develop that therapeutic relationship, so that you can start to explore their willingness to um, develop particular skills, what their actual kind of motivations are, etc. So. Oh, there we go. Right. I've only got 100 or 200 miles left to get up, which isn't too bad, I guess.